reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Nathan. I'm on staff here at the church, and I'm so glad you're here as we're beginning uh, a new series, just a short one in terms of the way we do series around here and that we did like three months on one book of the Bible. So this one's going to be short. It's just going through Christmas Eve. And, uh, and we're talking about this idea of re-gifting Christmas. And so I wanted you to think about, have you ever gotten a gift that was so bad, you immediately wanted to re-gift it to someone else, right? It was so bad, you thought, someone else needs to share in this misery. So I'm going to re-gift it to somebody else. Like, these are, for example, some uh, real gifts from Amazon, like this one right here. This is an umbrella hat, which you might have thought you would have wanted today. Maybe that would have been something, but maybe not the best look. This right here are these, you ever seen the stuffed animal pillows? These are cockroach stuffed animal pillows, in case that's something you want. These ones I really like. These are personalized branding irons, okay? Now, what I love about this is that a lot of you women love to monogram everything, and now you can monogram your children, all right? So no one will ever wonder where they come from, personalized branding irons. This right here is an anatomy bathing suit, right? You've heard of putting everything on display. This is literally putting everything on display, right? And then my favorite one is this, a chicken harness, Everyone on Amazon, what do you need? What do you do with your chicken? Well, when you need to take it out to the store, you know, everyone's got their chihuahua in a purse. When you want to take your chicken to the store, you just get a harness and you take them out, right? You might want to re-gift such things, all right? But that's it for that. Maybe you've been like me. This is a legit uh, re-gift that I got one time. Somebody gave me a $25 iTunes gift card that only had 25 cents left on it. Uh, so... <laughs> I don't think they knew that they had gotten that, but uh, I'll just say it because I know he's not watching this. It was my brother-in-law, so maybe it was on purpose, but I don't know. But uh, anyway, basically what ends up happening is you get some trash you don't want and you give it to someone else and now they have to pretend to be grateful for it, right? Now, unfortunately, that's how most of us treat re-gifting. We only re-gift the things that we don't want. And we're starting this series called Re-Gifting Christmas but really, the idea behind this is this idea that on Christmas, God gave to us uh, the greatest gift possible, his son, who opened up 
the kingdom of God, a new world, a new kind of life as Jason has already talked about. A, a new kind of world that Jesus is, as we sang already this morning, he is Emmanuel, a name for Jesus which means God with us. That life with God, life in his kingdom, a new kind of world is possible where all things that are wrong can be made right, where broken lives, broken things can be made whole, where enemies can become your family, where all things can be as they should be. And God's goal in all of this is that he sent Jesus to us. He gives us the gift of his presence so that we then too could re-gift to others what has been given to us. That we then could re-gift to other people what God has already given to us. And so you see this all over the New Testament. Paul says, you forgive, not because it's a good thing to do. You forgive because Christ has already forgiven you. God has already forgiven you. You are to be generous, not because it feels good around the holidays to be generous. You're to be generous because God has been so generous to you, right? These ideas that really come into our life, this idea of acting justly, loving mercy, walking humbly with God. Well, this is what Jesus modeled for us in his entire life. And this Christmas as a church, what we really want to focus on is how do we become a people? And I don't just mean you as an individual. I mean, yes, how do we become people? How do we become a people, a community that is known by re-gifting to others what God has given to us? The difficulty around the holidays is that mostly what we end up re-gifting to people that we love are the things that we would never intend to give to anyone. And we're so horrified that we pass them on. Like maybe, for example, every Christmas, maybe you're already feeling that this morning. You're feeling a little itchy because you're so rushed and hurried around the holidays with all the things you need to do, all the places you got to be, all the people you got to keep happy. And you got all these expectations on you. And all you end up passing on to your kids or to your spouse is irritability and stress and harsh words that you never really meant to say in that tone of voice, but somehow they just come out when you got to get out the door. Or maybe every time you visit your, your parents, you can already kind of hear the criticism, the judgment, the disappointment, the words that are going to get spoken to you and how heavy those are on you. And you would never want to pass those on to your kids, but it seems like somehow every day you say something and you go, oh, that's my mom's voice. That's my dad's voice. That's, that's not something I ever wanted to say, but you're passing them on. Maybe you've worked so hard, you, you want to build a career, you want to build a business that you can be proud of and others will respect. Or maybe you're trying to give your life the kids that you felt like you, ne that, that you want you give your kids the life you felt like you never had. And you're working hard and you're hustling to get it done. But what you're re-gifting to the people in your life is your absence. You're just not there. You're just not around. Or you've been through so much pain and heartbreak in your life, and no matter how hard you try, that's what you end up giving to other people. We all know the phrase now. It's almost become a cliche. Hurt people hurt people. That I'm just passing on my pain and my heartbreak and my hurt. And maybe you're already aware of this. Maybe you can already see the things that you were given in life, and you don't want to pass those things on, and you're trying to break those cycles. But it feels impossible sometimes, right? feels like no matter how hard you try, you just kind of end up in the same mess again and again and again. But then God, which are the most important three words you could ever say. But then 
God. Their words change everything. Christmas is the, big, the biggest, but then God's story. When God came in and made a way to put an end to these cycles again and again, we were stuck in sin, but then God. Our world was hopeless and dark, and then God. Jesus' close friend and follower, John, starts his account of Jesus' life, which we went like nine months on the book of John back uh, at the beginning of this year, and he starts the whole thing by saying, the light has shined in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus' arrival on earth in the flesh, it brought about a new kind of light into the world, a new kind of world that was possible. And you see these little cracks of the light just coming in to the darkness of our world. And there is no amount of darkness, there is no amount of evil, there is no amount of suffering, there is no amount of generational curses that can be on you that can snuff out the, the, the light of God. Through Jesus, a new kind of life has been brought forth into the world. And that's the gospel of Jesus. In Jesus Christ's death on the cross, the powers of sin and evil have been put to death. And in his resurrection, a new world has given birth. And it's happening right here in the cracks of our broken world. Right here in the midst of the darkness. Right here in the midst of the brokenness. Light is coming into our world. And what Jesus did was he created the church to be the place where this new world could actually begin to break into our world, that there would be new creation kind of people, resurrection kind of people, re-gifting kind of people who would take what God has given to them, not what this world has given to them, not what their parents has give, have given to them, not what anyone else has given to them. They take what God has given to them, this light, and they share it with every person in their world. And the church is just a family of new creation people. We are to live according to the values of God's kingdom, God's new world that he's bringing about. We lived for a long way repeating the same cycles everyone else did. But now, because of God, but then God, we get a new start, a new life, a new ability to do something different. The healing and freedom and new life of Jesus can break through into our world when people choose, I'm going to re-gift to others, not my hurt, but my healing. I'm going to re-gift to others, not my pain. I'm going to re-gift to them the life that God has given to me. This is Christmas. This is what we want to focus on. How do we become the kind of people and a people, a community of people where it is possible for the healing and the wholeness and the new life of God to spread out from our lives to the people around us? What would it look like if your family was made new? What if it would look like for your workplace to be made new? How can people who you don't even know somehow experience the blessing of God through you? Because 2,000 years ago, through a baby born to poor parents in Roman-occupied part of the world, the light of God shone into the darkness, and Jesus told his followers, I'm the light of the world. And then he said to them, now you're the light. You are to be a city on a hill. You are to shine in the darkness, to be a light drawing people towards your heavenly Father. But before we get to the manger, before we get to the cross, as we've already heard in our scripture reading, we have to start somewhere else with someone else. When an ancient historian and Jesus follower named Luke wrote his account of the birth of Jesus, he didn't begin with Jesus or the Virgin Mary. He began with an elderly, childless couple named Zachariah and Elizabeth, who he describes as being righteous and blameless in the sight of God. And one day, an angel of the Lord shows up to Zachariah and promises that his wife, despite being past childbearing years, will give birth. 
Now for Luke's original audience, who were deeply familiar with the Old Testament of the Bible, when they heard a story about a childless elderly couple who God promised to give a child, they would immediately think back to the story of Abraham. The nation of Israel were descendants of Abraham, and their entire nation was born out of a promise. God comes to Abraham when he, like Zechariah, was already old and childless. And God says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Now this origin story was formative for the people of Israel. It not only was history for them, it was their identity. It was like their declaration of independence. God chose us, we are his people, and his promise is to make us a great nation and bless us. Throughout Israel's history, God blessed the nation of Israel. He led them out of slavery in Egypt to a promised land that was fertile and abundant with life. He made them prosperous and fought on their behalf. But all along, they kept forgetting the real purpose of God choosing and blessing them. God promised Abraham, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And he ends the promise by saying, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God's promise to the nation of Israel was to bless them so that they would be a blessing to the nations around them. The Bible begins with God creating humans to do life with them, for us to experience the beautiful, good, and pleasing life of God in connection with Him. Over and over again, human beings rejected God. And by doing so, we chose to call what is evil good. And so human beings built families and tribes and nations that were full of evil and greed and violence, and darkness spread throughout the world. But through Abraham, God was choosing to build a new family and nation that would carry the cure for the darkness of sin. They would be his people, and they would live under his laws. They would order their society around his way of life, and God would bless them so that the surrounding nations and peoples would see how good life with God was. They would see a new way of life where the poor and the foreigners and the women and children would be lifted up and valued and honored. How in Israel, there would be no needy persons among them and the surrounding nations would also choose to do life with God and they too would be blessed. But Israel never did this or at least not for long. They never ordered their lives around God's way. Their worship of God did not lead them to love and compassion and justice for their neighbor. Instead, their worship of God became a religious ritual. In the nation that God freed from slavery, they took slaves. The nation that began as poor immigrants in a foreign land began to oppress the poor and the immigrants and the foreigners among them. And the people who were supposed to be the ones who were carrying the cure for the world they became infected with the disease of sin themselves. Those who carried the light had allowed the darkness to overcome it. Then God showed up to another childless elderly couple who chose not to follow the patterns of this world. And starting with this couple, he's going to remind his people of the promise of Abraham, the promise to make Israel a blessing to the world. This couple would give birth to a son named John and the angel promises them, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This baby promised to Zechariah and Elizabeth would be the prophet of God who would prepare the people of Israel for God's Messiah, the long promised king of God who would establish God's kingdom or God's way. 
This Messiah would be the one true Israelite who wouldn't be corrupted by the disease of sin, the only one who could faithfully carry the light of God, the cure for sin into a darkened and sinful world. Would you stand and sing with us? from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt
grows up to be John the Baptist, who we heard about right there in, in that video. He does exactly what the angel promised he would. John goes into the Judean wilderness that's around. This is before Jesus starts his ministry, and he begins preaching. God's kingdom is coming. This thing that we have been long awaiting for, this time when God would begin to make things right, it's coming. And he says to the people of Israel, you need to repent. You need to turn from your old way of life. You need to prepare yourself for the new thing that God is going to be doing in your midst. Because there is a way in which if you don't ever turn, if you don't ever change the direction of your life, you may never see what God is doing in your midst. And so he's saying God is sending his Messiah who will bring about God's kingdom, which is going to overflow with every good thing that we need for a godly life. And so he tells him, if you want to be ready for it, you need to change how you live. To repent means to not just rethink everything. It means to turn and to live a different way. <coughs> Excuse me. And he tells them, this is what I want you to do. I want you to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, I want you to show that you've actually changed how you're, how you're thinking. I want you to show that you've changed your life by turning, by living in a different way. And so the people start asking John, well, what should we do then? How do we actually, I mean, what does that actually even look like? What does it look like to show with my life that I'm ready for God's coming kingdom? For what God is going to do in the midst of us. And here's how John replies. Anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same thing. How, how do you prove, John, how do we prove that we're ready for what God's going to do in our midst? How do we get ready to see the Messiah? How do we know? He says, I want... You need to re-gift to others what's been given to you. If you find yourself in a position where you have more than you need and there is someone who does not have all that they need, well, then share with them. Share what's been given to you. And I want to be clear, this is not the kind of feel-good, sharing is caring kind of thing that we tend to kind of think of around the holidays of just, well, just share. Everyone should share. Everyone should do this. He's talking in particular about sharing with poor and powerless people living in these conditions, living among those who are disadvantaged, doing good, doing justice. A world where Jesus would say, hey, there's a new kind of life possible and it's going to look different than anything else. In fact, that's why Jesus gives parables of the kingdom. He wants them to know everything you expect of how the world works, that's not how it works in the kingdom. Everything you would expect a person to do, that's not what they do in the kingdom. Everything is upside down. So when you see someone in need, you don't think, well, you probably just should have worked harder. You should have put a little more effort in. I mean, if you'd done what I had done, you'd be where I'm at. No, when you see someone who is in need, you don't just thank God for how good you have it. Oh, thank, thank God that that's not me. No, instead, you look at someone who's in need, you're moved in compassion. If you have the ability to help, you help. This is what John is preaching about in the wilderness. He's calling people of Israel. He's saying, it's time to come back and be children of Abraham. In fact, he says to them at one point, if you think you can just say, well, we're children of Abraham, he's like, God could make children of Abraham out of these stones. A child of Abraham is someone who understands Abraham's original mandate and purpose to be a blessing to others, that God will bless you to be a blessing. John is trying to get them to imagine that a new world is possible. The kind of world Jesus would show through his life. A world 
where those who are blessed do not take it as some kind of evidence that they are superior or they did something better to get their own blessing. But instead, they see my, my blessing is an obligation to help those in need. A world where God himself, who has all infinite power and authority, would give it all up to be born as a helpless baby to powerless people in poor living conditions, to live among those who are disadvantaged. A world where Jesus would see a poor widow giving away two of her last coins, her two last coins, and would say, that's what generosity looks like. It's not these big shows. It's this. It, it's, it's a world where God would say to people, a rich man who would come to him, and say, how do, how do I get in on this kingdom of God? How do I get eternal life? How do I gain this eternal life, this, this new kingdom of God? And he says, well, you have so many possessions, you should sell your possessions and give them to the poor. This is the kind of world Jesus is inviting people into, a, a, a world where Jesus would eat dinner with a chief tax collector. And I know we hear that as just, oh, kind of a bad dude, but you need to hear it more like a mob boss. This guy's willing to use the violence of the Roman Empire to get more money if he needs to. To get whatever he needs by his own means. His name's Zacchaeus. And Jesus would go to lunch, to lunch with him, to dinner with him, which in their culture was a way to say, me and Zacchaeus were friends. And somehow, we don't know what Jesus says in that, but by the end of it, Zacchaeus comes out and goes, anything that I have stolen from anyone, I'll give four times back to, to those people. I will make reparations for the wrong that I have done to someone else. And Jesus looks at that act and says, salvation's come to this man's house. This is the kingdom of God. It is a person who has more than they need, blessing others. And John isn't just trying to get them to imagine this world. He's saying to the people of Israel, you need to start participating in it. You need to be ready for it by participating in it. He wants them to bless others, to re-gift what they've been given because something happens when you begin living out the kingdom of God in your midst. Somehow it becomes easier to recognize. It becomes a little more attractive when you actually do it. At first, that sounds pretty terrible. But at first, but when you start to do it, you see the blessings of it. John's job was to prepare a people for the coming kingdom of God. And he knows that they will not see what God is doing. They will miss out on who Jesus is because Jesus is the kingdom of God. There is no kingdom of God apart from Jesus. Jesus is eternal life. Jesus is salvation. And so many of the religious leaders of his day, who John in this section calls vipers, they missed out on what Jesus was doing because that's not what they thought the Messiah would do. God's not doing this. God's giving people what they deserve. And here's Jesus going around promiscuously blessing people. Just going around blessing everyone. Giving to all kinds of people. They were looking not for the reason they couldn't see what Jesus was doing because they weren't participating in it. They were not looking to be a blessing. They were looking for the blessing. They weren't looking to be a blessing. They just wanted the blessing themselves. They wanted Jesus to be a, maybe a military leader, a political leader to come back and make Israel great again. Let's bring it back. That's what it means, right? Is we're going to build up the kingdom of Israel again. Let's do this. Let's make it happen. Or maybe they thought he was going to be, the Messiah was going to be some kind of religious leader who would get all the people who weren't following all the rituals and rules the right way. Get everyone back in line. Let's make this happen. They never expected a poor carpenter who would go around just blessing people and feeding everybody. They couldn't see it. This wasn't the way it worked. But Jesus said his kingdom looked like a wedding feast, a party 
There's more than enough to share. In Jesus' day, the only people who got invited to feast were rich and powerful people who they themselves could return the favor to someone else, which is why Jesus says, when you throw a feast, you don't invite all the rich and powerful. You don't invite your family who will return the favor to you. You give expecting nothing in return. And Jesus tells this parable of what the kingdom of God's going to look like is, he says, all the normal people are going to get invited to it, but for some reason, they'll reject the invitation. They'll have something better going on. They got a business deal coming through. They got something else going on in this parable. He says, they're, they're going to have something else going on and they're going to miss it. And then, my servants will go out and they'll invite people you'd never expect, the poor and the crippled and the blind, and they will come in and they will fill my kingdom. They will share in the blessing because there's more than enough room to share. In God's kingdom, there is no need, there is no end to the supply of blessings so you can freely give them away. Jesus, and really John in these verses, he's trying to get you to imagine there is a world where your life is not driven by scarcity. What I mean is your life is not driven by this idea that I got to hustle, I got to earn, no one's going to give it to me, I got to get it for myself. There's not enough going around. You know, I've been on several cruises in my life, and just in October, we went on a cruise again. And if you've ever been on a cruise, there's an endless amount of food, right? More than you ever would possibly be able to eat. You know what I've never seen? on the, And there's long lines on these cruises. I've never seen a single person go, hey, can you pass the bread? And they go, whoa, if I give you bread, there's not going to be enough for me. I've never seen a single person in a long line and food for, uh, even for ice cream, somebody comes and they go, well, great, now I, can't, I don't know why I'm having to wait in this line because by the time I get up there, there will never be enough ice cream. If you've never known, the ice cream flows on cruises like a land of milk and honey. It is the promised land. No person ever feels the need to go up and get whatever they need because they think no one ever goes, hey, you should have done more to earn the ice cream. They go, hey, we all, we're all on this cruise together. And I can share because there's more coming my way. And in the kingdom of God, like in Psalm 23, we lack nothing. We lack nothing. And so we can give it away. This is what Jesus said the kingdom looks like. Everyone is blessed beyond measure, and they can freely and joyfully bless others because there is no shortage. And until you get in on this, you may never see it. You may not be able to recognize it. So I want to take a moment before we wrap up to slow down and ask God to show us how he has blessed us and how he's called us to be a blessing this Christmas season. So I've asked Jason to come out and lead us in this time. There's a Christian author, his name is Neil Plantinga, and he has a definition for gratitude. He says that gratitude is the glad sense that you have been gifted with something by someone that places you in a place of indebtedness. In other words, gratitude is knowing I've been given something, something I didn't earn, something I didn't deserve, and because of that, now I feel glad to owe someone else something. Another Christian author and priest, his name is Ronald Rollheiser, and he says the greatest sign of a person's spiritual maturity is how grateful they are. So the journey of Christian growth is to become a person who gladly understands everything in my life it's a gift and because of that I'm not owed anything I owe everything to God because it's all a gift
And so we have to ask the question, how do we repay God? (laughs) How do you give something back to the one who has it all? How do you give something back to the God of this universe who made it all? You, you, You can't give him anything, right? But we repay God by regifting, as Nathan said, to others what has been given to us. We bless God's children. So this morning, before we go any further, we just want to give you an opportunity, all of us together, to have a moment of gratitude. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you about a minute or so to just sit in the quiet with God and to say thanks for everything he's done for you. I want you to, as you sit, just think through your blessings. Think about your family, your relationships. Think about your health, your finances. Think about Jesus. And after each blessing comes to your mind, I just want you to pause and simply say thanks to God. So you take about a minute and do that. Now that you have your blessings in your mind and you're thinking on those things, I want you to just spend the next few moments asking God, how do you intend me to bless others? And I think in these next few moments, God's going to probably bring a person to your mind. Maybe a situation or a circumstance. Maybe he already has. But just take this time and ask God to lead you And asking God, how can I be a blessing? Now that I've been so blessed, what would you have me do to bless others? Let's do that together now. Heavenly Father, fill our hearts with gratitude today. 
Help us to see how everything in this life truly is a gift, comes straight from you. Lead us to be a blessing to those around us and, and teach us what it means to share in your kingdom by sharing with others. And most of all, we thank you for the greatest gift you gave us. Your son, Jesus, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I think why Christmas in Coweta ends up being one of our favorite times, I mean, around the year for us here at this church, is because it is an opportunity for us to participate in the kingdom of God. I mean, even if you're here and you're not sure you believe all that we believe, you feel it in that moment. That generosity somehow draws out of you a feeling of gratitude for what you have been given during this time. And this Saturday, our church is going to participate again as these families come to pick up these gifts. And we're going to welcome and serve and draw near to people who are in need. But my prayer is that we do not see this as an opportunity to serve needs. We see it as an opportunity to see the kingdom, to see our king. When the gifts are handed out this weekend and we sit and we talk or we pray or we cry with someone, may we not walk away from that and go, oh, wow, what a good thing we just did. Oh, what a good thing I just did. May we walk away and say, oh, wow, what a good God we have. Oh, wow, what a good God we have. A God who would invite everybody into his kingdom to share into the blessing. That those who maybe have needs and those who have more than they need can be brothers and sisters, can be family together. He allows us to be a blessing. How God, how good a God that he would invite everyone to share into the blessings of his kingdom because none of us deserve these blessings, right? None of us deserve these blessings. And God has invited all of us to share with one another. Because even though I may not have a financial need, I do have a need that I can't have met until I participate fully in God's kingdom. Until I fully have the experience that Jesus said of when you feed someone or you clothe someone or you give a drink to someone who is thirsty. He says, when you did that, you did that for me. There is a need that I have that I don't get to be, participate fully in. In God's kingdom, everyone gets to be a blessing. So I really want to challenge you. In fact, I hadn't written this in, but I, I want to challenge you to this. If you have not signed up to serve at Christmas in Coweta, you got to know we don't have currently enough volunteers to, to do all that we need to be done. So what I want to ask you to do is right now you can take out your phone. You can go to community-christian.net slash do something. All right? community-christian.net slash do something. There will be a form there that you can sign up to say, I'll be a part of this. I'll volunteer. I want to share in this. If you've got kids, bring them along. Help them be a part of what's going on. In 2020, when we were unable to have volunteers do these big projects like Christmas in Coweta, now we did still had the projects. We just couldn't allow volunteers to do it. So there were about eight of us who were handing out the gifts at Christmas in Coweta. And I was involved in putting things into the back seat of people's car. And I'm really glad that other people are going to do that because I think I scratched up like six cars. So it was not good to have me out there being the one to do it. But during that season, when we had a bunch of uh, uh, the inability to have volunteers involved with all these things, we did a challenge to our church, and some of you will remember this. We called it Thanksgiving. You remember this? We did a challenge where we said, this holiday season, 
We want everyone to do something extraordinarily generous to someone in their lives. This is beyond what we do at Christmas in Coweta. It's the ability to gift thanks to someone else. The ability to say to someone else, I'm so thankful for you and I just want to bless you, not because I think you need me, but because God has been so extraordinarily generous to me and you are one of my many blessings and I just want to bless you. I just want to bless you. I want to bless you in the name of Jesus. And the whole goal of the project was if we could be a gift to someone else, if we could fill their hearts with thanks, then maybe they would say, thank God for this person in my life. Then maybe it opens them up just a moment, especially if it's someone in your life and you're not even sure what they believe about God or this whole church thing. In that one moment, they're open up to a new kind of world that is possible. And we know that world is the kingdom of God. And for a moment, you could invite someone to do that. This year, I want to invite you to do the same thing. We're not going to have a big campaign around it. I just want to personally invite you to re-gift what God has given you to someone else. And it could be financial, but it could be relational. It could be an act of service for somebody. Maybe you know of a single parent, and they need a break this holiday season. Maybe you could offer, hey, could I just babysit for you and give you a break that you could go out and maybe buy Christmas gifts if you haven't done it, or you could go see a movie, or you could just take a nap. If you just want to take a nap, I'll watch the kids. You go take a nap. Maybe you know through someone who, who is going through a tough time and they just need someone to talk to. This could be someone's first Christmas divorce, or their first in grief, or their first away from their family. And all the holidays do is make them feel more alone. And every holiday you sit around with your family and you thank God for your blessings and there are people all around you and they do not have those blessings. You could step in and say, hey, just for this moment, maybe my presence could be the gift to you. Maybe me just drawing near to you. Maybe you take them out to dinner or you invite them to do something with you or maybe you invite them to join in on your holiday celebration. We do not always see it, but simply by being in church, you have brothers and sisters all around you. You have this gift of relationships that we just miss out on. And in our world where now the statistics are it's two out of every five people say that they have zero meaningful relationships in their life. What a gift it is to have family. What a gift it is to be in the church. You could re-gift the gift of relationship to someone. Here's what I would say. If you've got kids at home, get them involved with this. Make this a part of their life that they would see God has blessed us and we are to be a blessing. This can be one of the most important family traditions that you build. You can actually do what every bumper sticker apparently needs to tell you to do. Put Christ back in Christmas. I think the problem is we've got to put Christ back in Christians. We got to get enough people who actually say they follow Jesus to actually put Christ at the middle of their Christmas. And the way you do it is you live like Christ. You go around blessing everyone. Just go around being generous to everyone. Once a month or so, my, my family and I join with some people in our church and we go to a local organization that helps people who are in need. And I get to invite my kids to be a part of handing out breakfast to people and praying with people and not because I want my kids and I've had people say this is so good because they need to know to be more grateful for all that you give to them or they need to see all the needs that is not why we do this I invite my kids to be a part of this not because I want them to see the needs I want them to see the kingdom I want them to see that everybody gets involved 
You can bless people. You can pray with people. And just last weekend, we were out there, and there was a man that we met. He's 63 years old, and for the first time in his life, he is homeless. And he is living in the woods. And I got to, we got to pray with him. And I watched as I started to pray. It's two of my daughters just walk up and they're hugging this stranger the whole time we're praying. And they're crying and he's crying and everyone's crying. And I, and I said to him afterwards, that's the kingdom. That's what the new world of God looks like is strangers become family. People carry one another's burdens. We can't fix every problem, but we can, as we say around here all the time, I can do something. I can't do everything. I can do something. I can be part of something. I don't want them to see the need. I want them to see the kingdom. And so maybe you as a family could say, hey, we're going to go, we're going to volunteer with an organization. Or maybe you could say, hey, you know, God has blessed us so much financially. We're going to sponsor a child with Compassion International. We're going to write to them. Or we're going to see if there's a nursing home where we can go and volunteer and be a part of it. Next week, Ed's going to give us some more ideas as we talk about what it looks like to actually re-gift Christmas to the people in our lives. But this week, I just want to ask you, could you start, like John was trying to get them to do, could you start imagining a new world that's possible? where you too could go around doing good. You could go around promiscuously blessing the people in your life, just like your heavenly father. And not as some kind of obligation, like, well, I gotta do this. As a joyful, grateful part of being a part of the kingdom feast of Christ Jesus, where you have no lack, you lack nothing, and therefore you can just give away. Maybe you could be the reason that someone's heart this week, this weekend, maybe this Christmas season, their heart opens up in gratitude and the world is open to a world where people don't get what they deserve. They get better than they deserve. They're open up to a world where people could care about them and not even know them. Maybe you could be the reason they turn their eyes to the God who did this to us, did this for us first. Maybe you're new here and all this already sounds a little strange and a little weird. And so maybe your next step is you just need to start a conversation. Maybe what you need to do this holiday season is you need to get into a community around some people who do this. You need to get around some people who live this way all year long and not just at the holidays. So would you go to our Next Steps Center? Maybe you could sign up for our Next Steps class. You could investigate what life with God in our community actually looks like because the life God is inviting you into is not some kind of moment where you feel really guilty or you feel even really just grateful for what you have and then it ends with just this feeling. It's not a private spirituality. It's life lived in a community with God right at the center of it all where we too can be a part of making all things new and beautiful and right. So would you consider going to next steps and taking a step towards our community? As we end our time together, I've asked Jason to come out and lead us to the meal Jesus left us that would be a reminder of the great kingdom feast that we will share with him one day when Jesus returns. Let's do that now.